I believe in God, I the, believe Father, in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day, he rose again from the dead. I believe. We welcome all of our Christ Journey campuses, our Gables campus, our Kindle campus joining us online. We welcome you. We love you. And our future Miami Beach campus about to come online soon. We're excited about that. All of you joining us in South Florida and around the world, we welcome you. And I greet you today in the spirit of grace and peace. And we remember all of those today who are still recovering from the devastating hurricane, Hurricane Dorian, our brothers and sisters in the Bahamas, we were praying for you. In fact, today at the 11 a.m. here at the Gables campus, we welcome Pastor John and his wife Enid uh, McIntosh from the Abacos. Um, Pastor, we want you to know that our prayers go to you and your family and your congregation as you uh, attempt to rebuild and um, provide leadership and care for your people out there in the Abacos. So we want you to know that we're with you and our prayers are with you, brother. Well, last week, our pastor, Bill White, who is on mission right now with your team, and so if you're joining us right now, we are praying for you and keeping the team in prayers uh, while you serve and uh, share the gospel in your part of the world. But uh, last week, our pastor gave us a compelling vision of what it means for us to be a church on the edge, for a city on the edge, in a world feeling on edge. And so beginning today... And through the next 10 weeks, we will be journeying our way through the Apostles' Creed in order to root this vision down into the firm foundation of our faith and what we believe. The Apostle in Apostles' Creed, the word Apostle means one who is sent, which commonly refers to Jesus' 12 disciples, but in a very real way, you are sent men and women, for those of you who believe in Jesus, into the world to bear his good news. The creed captures the core teachings of these apostles as they shared Jesus' good news of salvation throughout Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, which eventually included our city on the edge. And as the authors of the creed formulated what would become this creed, these core statements about what Jesus' apostles taught as they went about to the ends of the earth. They painstakingly prayed over every single word written in this creed in order to preserve the integrity of their teachings in a time of deep persecution that faced the early church in the first century. And so they captured this so that whatever might happen, whatever might befall, to the early church that the core teachings of these apostles would then be able to go out anywhere and everywhere throughout the world. And throughout the rich tradition of our Baptist heritage at Christ's journey, the Apostles' Creed has guided our thinking as we study God's true and divinely inspired word, but it doesn't define what we believe. The creed does not define what we believe. Rather, the Bible as we interpret it through the lens of Jesus 
defines what we believe. Here at Christ's Journey, we pledge our allegiance to Jesus and only Jesus here at this church. But the Apostles' Creed points like a signpost to the core teachings of God given to us by the Apostles. And in a culture moving at the speed of technology, I believe this is just as crucial for us now, more so than perhaps ever before in our history. Take a look. What is glossophobia? Glossophobia, or speech anxiety, is the fear of public speaking. Now, we are the masters of our faith. Sure I am that the task which has been set us is not above our strength, that its pangs and toils are not beyond our endurance. Great or small, large or petty, never give in, never give in, never, never, never. <laughs> man, where was Google when I was in high school, man? Man, back in the old days, we actually had to talk to girls and then just learn by trial and error. How do we actually ask a girl out? But man, like, I, I think this video, I, I show it to you because I think it just captures so well the speed at which our lives are moving right now, where we can literally turn to technology for any part of our life experience, for any part of, of any of the major questions that we ask about life, about evil, about why we're here, about where we belong, about who this God is. We can literally type that into a Google search bar and then poof, within a .015 seconds, get the answer that we want. And I wonder how frequently we choose this kind of technology and these devices as our personal companions in times of trouble. In a 1965 sermon by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he made a poignant statement that could just as easily be said today, 54 years later, when he said, we've allowed our technology to outdistance our theology. And for this reason, we find ourselves caught up with many problems. And those problems still persist to this very day, and they especially matter for our up-and-coming flying oranges. For our preschoolers, our elementary schoolers, middle and high schoolers, even our young adults in the room. In a book released just two weeks ago by the Barna Research Group titled Faith for Exiles, which I highly commend this book to anyone who has any influence whatsoever from a preschooler through a young adult. Amazing book. I just finished it a couple of days ago. The authors report that the first time in human history, Generation Z, comprised of 15 to 23-year-olds, spends 2,767 hours per year, the equivalent of 115 days connected to devices. How, how do we even make sense of that? These are, new, these are new problems, new issues, new learnings for us. Compare that figure with how many hours the typical young person of the same generation invests into spiritual formation per year, about 150 hours, which amounts to about six days. 115 days versus six days. 115 days of information compared to six days of content that's really intended to transform. 
This means that the average young person spends nearly 20 times the amount of hours consuming screen-driven media than receiving spiritual formation, which begs the question of us as people of faith. It begs this question of us. How do we hope to shape the hearts and minds of the next generation with the weight of information stacked against transformation? In Faith for Exiles, the author writes, the age-old questions of being human, the questions of who am I, where do I belong, who is this God, how do I relate to this community, remain unasked, shriveling like neglected seedlings. The deep spiritual longings of our heart, of love and being known, which ought to be lovingly tended and skillfully cultivated, are being choked to death by binge television, immersive gaming, and social media scrolling. Choked to death. That phrase gripped me when I read it. And you know, while I believe on the one hand, yeah, that te technology enhances our lives, unlike any other time in human history. I love it. I would never want to go back to a day without it. We also need to acknowledge its shadow side. And not just for Gen Z, but for all of us. In a landmark study that Forbes published just this past May, some of you may have read it, more than half of all Americans... More than half of all of us in this room said they always or sometimes feel that no one knows them well. My heart broke when I read this. My heart broke for our city, for some of you who may identify with this. Under the right conditions, technology certainly enables us to gain access to knowledge, experience the richness of community, enable us to share the gospel, not only here within our midst, but also with Kendall, who's joining us online, to the ends of the earth, through church online. Yet at the same time of our greatest technological improvements, we feel more lonely than ever in modern history. And we need to ask, is this just merely ironic? Or could this be causal? Could this be related to some way? We need to ask new questions about how we use and understand our technology and then apply fresh and faithful expectations to it. We won't be asking those questions today. But I do want to highlight that our, our technology, that our devices are not intended to transform us. Rather, their purpose should be to inform us. Whenever we use this, and we just heard the new release just a few days ago, what's about to come, right? Whenever we use this as a means to feel something, and all of us want to feel something, all of us, all of us want to experience something, to feel this, to be human. I mean, that, that in and of itself is a powerful, I believe, God-created urge and desire within every single one of us. We all want to feel alive, yet whenever we use this as a means to feel something, then more times than not, our longing results in further isolation and loneliness and further disconnection right? In our information age, what we're really longing for is transformation. That's why these confessional statements from the creed, why they matter more in our culture right now than I believe in any other time in our history, perhaps other than when the church was being persecuted and they needed these statements to keep them aligned together. These statements for us can serve as, as witnesses, as signposts to where we find transformation through the word of God, into God himself, right? That's how God has revealed himself in Christ as we know from the word of God. The first words of each one of these statements of the creed says, I believe, 
which means transformation. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, which is the statement that we'll be unpacking today. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. When we believe in something, we want to give our lives over to it. We get caught up in it. It does something to us. When we believe something, we're transformed by it. And as we become a church on the edge, for a city on the edge, and a world feeling on edge, which we all experience every day in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, everyone's always on edge. Feel it on the palmetto, on edge, man. <laughs> Jesus offers us the real and true transformation for which all of us long here and now. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's a promise. That's a, that's a promise declarative statement that Jesus made. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, that great verse from Deuteronomy in the Torah says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is one God we're talking about. Not multiple gods. One God revealed in three persons. You know, as these young Jewish teenage fishermen boys, fisher boys, as Jesus called them and said, come and follow me, they would have attended the synagogue, their local you know, synagogue youth group, and they would have probably said that statement every single day in morning and evening prayers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And so you can imagine as they're following Jesus, as they're watching him lead and work miracles and interact with people and make these claims about himself and make these claims about God and the kingdom of God all around. You can imagine that these guys would have been like, and you can even see this in the gospels when you read them, you can, they're trying to make sense of who Jesus is in relationship to this core truth and understanding about Jewish belief, which is that they worship one God. So this wasn't like another God who came to them, but this was actually, this was actually God in the flesh. Jesus was actually doing the very things that these teenage fisher boys would have been reading and experiencing in the synagogue. In fact, it even led Peter to affirm Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son being, the word Son being the operative word. In the beginning of Peter's first letter, in fact, the same Peter, the same teenage boy who followed Jesus as his disciple wrote in his first letter to the church about God as three persons in one saying, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of who? Jesus Christ. Three in one. May God give you more and more grace and peace. I love that. Just keep giving it to you. Friends, listen, God the Father has chosen you God the Son has redeemed you on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit is making you holy and setting you apart for your work in the world. God is all three in one. The Father begets the Son who gives the Spirit. All three persons united in perfect union together as one. That's what this creed affirms. As we gain a fuller understanding of what it means to really worship God as three in one, then we actually experience a real fullness in our faith. Because we can actually experience God not just our, as our Father, but as a Son with us. And as the Holy Spirit continuing to work out that work in us here and now every single day. That first statement that I want to talk about today, I believe in the Father Almighty, and God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I want to unpack this for you for just a moment. And I want to start by recognizing that some of you, like me, who grew up in the church, perhaps you grew up calling God Father. 
or calling God your heavenly father. And like me, you probably grew up without really understanding why you did that. <laughs> I mean, I, I did. I grew up not really understanding, why do we call God father? Why, why do we do this? I mean, I did it in large part because everybody else was doing it, which, by the way, is no reason to do anything in a church. Don't just do something because everybody else. Bring your mind and your heart. Show up. Show up during the series and bring your questions. Man, I, I, I had a great conversation with a, a, a guy, a gentleman, right after the 930. He just brought his questions, and I loved it. We wrestled together. That's what it means to follow Jesus together. Now, personally, as a man who grew up in a divorced home, without my father present, I really... I felt fulfilled calling my Godfather. It did something to me that it, it, put, it put language, it made personal my relationship with God in a way that I couldn't do with a human being who I couldn't call Father. Now, this isn't everybody's story. In fact, there may be some of you in this room today who grew up in a similar situation as me where you either grew up without your father or perhaps you grew up with a very difficult human father with you and your family and whenever you think about this word father it just conjures up all kinds of emotions for you all kinds of unpleasant emotions for you and i totally understand i I totally understand how that could be but i want you to know something when we talk about our god as heavenly father i want you to know that god didn't reveal himself as a heavenly father as one defined by pain That's not how God chose to reveal himself. God didn't define himself by pain or chaos or distance or dispassionate apathy, just floating somewhere in the cosmos or floating somewhere in some philosophy building or in some library. That's not how God defined himself. In fact, the God that Jesus revealed as the Heavenly Father, the God that these Jewish boys taught throughout the early Christian church and for whom they ultimately gave their lives, all of them except one, this God is radically different than those cultural assumptions or misguided philosophical arguments that we hear swirling around our culture. Our Heavenly Father is an up-close and personal God with us. Our Heavenly Father bound himself to a promise that he ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and the fundamental message of the whole entirety of the Bible is that your heavenly father won't ever let you go. That's the whole message of this Bible. In fact, God drew so near to us that God entered into our world fully as a human being through his son who showed us just how much this heavenly father loves us. Often my wife and I say to our kids, we love you to the moon and back. You ever say that to your kids? We love you to the moon and back. We love you to the stars and back, whatever you might say to your kids. Your Heavenly Father loved you from heaven to earth and then back again. That's profound. The apostles themselves witnessed firsthand the close, intimate relationship that Jesus enjoyed with the Father, and they wanted it. Can you blame them? They wanted this. And so Jesus' disciples asked him once. They said, show us how to pray. Show us how to enter into this intimate kind of relationship that you seem to enjoy with this Father that we know in the Hebrew Scriptures, with this God that we know in the Hebrew Scriptures, but that we just don't seem to understand in the same way that you understand. And so Jesus said, well, I'll tell you then. When you pray, don't, don't come to God like everybody else does and make a big show of it. Don't come to God and pray with a bunch of superstitions and fluff and fillers surrounding it. Don't even pray wanting something. When you pray, say, Father. Say, Father. Imagine 
this God who at once stands apart from us. And that's true. This God who at once is all-powerful, who is righteous and holy, who created everything. At once this, this Father, as he entered into our world, says, through his Son, I want you to come to me like you would a good father. And you know what fathers do? Fathers come close. Fathers kneel down. Fathers talk to their kids where they can see them eye to eye. Fathers toss the ball. Fathers interact. Fathers discipline closely. Fathers teach closely. They give hugs and kisses. They, they want to bring their kids close. Good fathers want to bring their kids close and get close with them. Imagine coming to God like that. Kind of weird, isn't it? You know, it's kind, of, it's kind of strange thinking about God in this kind of personal, intimate, relational kind of way. I mean, this may be new for some of you. But friends, also understand this, that this isn't, this, I'm not making it, this isn't my word. This isn't my image that I'm giving to you today. This isn't my metaphor that I'm sharing with you. This is exactly how Jesus says that we can approach our, our God. We can approach him as father. Now this requires here, and I think we need to acknowledge this, that as great as this makes us feel, and as personal as it makes us feel, this requires a deep kind of humility and surrender. I often find myself approaching God more as a peer, as a colleague. Hey, God, can you help me with this? Let's, okay, let's look each other up right here. But in reality, this isn't, that's not at all how God, how Jesus says, come to your God. He says, come to him as a father. The per, understand the personal nature behind it, but also understand the the difference of who we are in comparison to our God. This is a radical concept. And you know what the best part is? Is that you don't need to have had an earthly dad to know how to do this. In fact, your heavenly father can serve as the perfect substitute. As we come to God in prayer, Jesus taught us to acknowledge God's holiness, God's kingship, God's will, provision, forgiveness, mercy, deliverance, power, glory, and eternal nature. But first and foremost, Jesus taught Come to God as Father, for indeed, our God is a good, good Father. The psalmist wrote, his name is the Lord, rejoice in his presence. He's a father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. This is God. This is who God is, whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families, in real adoptive families, yes, but also in families like this one, the wider extended family of Jesus Christ, the brothers and sisters together united by his son and the Holy Spirit. Here we come together as the Christ journey familia in order to experience God as holy yet noble and personal as God with us. God made room and continues to make room for every single one of us in this family. Not one person is excluded in this family, both those of you in this room, those of you within the sound of my voice, but also those not yet here. God is a father to all people. Hence why we're wearing this red bracelet right now. Because we're reminding ourselves what Rahab did. Rahab let the red cord down so that people could come to her in safety. We're doing the very same thing as we let our lives down and help people come into this community, into this wider extended family to find safety and to get to know this same God that we call father who is also a father to them. Let us make no mistake about that. There is no such thing as in or out. There is no such thing of us and them. There is all together, we are sons and daughters of the one true living God. If you want to know 
the Father, Jesus says, then look to the Son. I think all of us resonate with Jesus' disciple, Philip, when he says this in, in the book of John. I love this. He says, Lord, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. I mean, have you ever felt that? God, just show yourself, please. Can you just show up? I mean, I, I love the, you can just hear the tension in his voice. And you know how Jesus replied? He said this. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? And I think John wrote those two words side by side, I am, in order to link Jesus all the way back to God's original name in the Old Testament, Yahweh, which means I am who I am. Essentially, Jesus here is saying, don't you know that I am Yahweh, that I am the great I am, that I am the God that you've been reading and seeing in the Old Testament scriptures, and here I am standing in your presence, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus says. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does this work through me, which means this, that when we read the Gospels, Jesus wasn't making this up. Jesus wasn't just some good guy making up a bunch of stuff. This was the Father speaking through him and revealing himself to us through the Son. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, Jesus says. Or at least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. Because even Jesus knew that it wasn't enough for him just to speak about the Father. But he showed us the Father showed us the Father by going all the way to the cross for us and showing us the heart and character of this God as a God of redemption, as a God of reconciliation, as a God who loves you from heaven to earth and then back again. Friends, if you feel apart from God today, isolated and alone, lost in the endless sea of connection, while the God of real and true connection seems distant and unknowable to you, then friend, may I just say that perhaps it wasn't God who wandered. I know whenever I feel distant from God and distant from others, it's usually me who wanders. The consequential nature of our sin resulted in all of us becoming separated from God's holiness and God's righteousness, drifting on our own, feeling like no one knows us, let alone God, leading us to think and act in ways that isolate us from each other, from ourselves, and especially from our Heavenly Father. For the wages of sin is death, Paul wrote, which means spiritual, physical, and eternal separation from God. But do you know why we call Jesus' message good news? Because even then, even when we wander, even when we try to make our own way, and even at times when we think of ourselves as the God of our own life, amidst our greatest separation, the whole witness of Scripture bears witness to the surprising faithfulness of our Heavenly Father who revealed to us God's persistent, never-ending, relentless, up-close-and-personal love for every single one of us. Amen? Even when we wander from it. Now, in this creed, did you also notice that coupled with a descriptor with the Father is this word, Almighty, that I believe in God the Father Almighty, power and strength. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote this novel, uh, this wonderful story called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where 
one of the characters, Susan, asked this beaver in Narnia, Mr. Beaver, who is Aslan? And Aslan here represents God. Mr. Beaver says, well, Aslan is a lion. Aslan is the lion. In fact, he's the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. And here's what Mr. Beaver said, and I love this. I think it shows us something about the character of God, God the Father Almighty. He says, safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Our God is Father. Our God is Almighty. Our God is the king. But one thing our God isn't is safe. Our God is not safe. He isn't safe to our sin. He isn't safe to hatred, violence, and injustice in our world. Safe requires boundaries. Our God is a boundless God. Our God crossed the boundaries of heaven and earth to save you, which was the riskiest, most dangerous thing that God could have done to himself. And though your heavenly father isn't safe, he is trustworthy because he is a good God defined by love. True love isn't always safe. And you know this. When you have kids or the way that you think about your spouse, sometimes you have to say things that don't feel safe or even sometimes do things that don't feel safe. But true love isn't always safe. True love is always good. Always good. And then finally, I just want to close with this last line in the creed. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. God is Father, God is Almighty, God is also creator, and we affirm this in the creed. The psalmist wrote, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. All of this belongs to God, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Make no mistake, the psalm declares that we breathe God's air, that we live in bodies created by God, that we use God's resources. Everything in the heavens and on the earth belongs to God. We're not self-made men and women. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that. But the good news is that we're not here by accident. Because God created this. Your Heavenly Father created you, formed you, pieced you together bit by bit to make you who you are. The psalmist wrote something interesting here that kind of paints the other side of the fence to the fact that everything belongs to God. Because if you're a critical thinker, you know, okay, well, if all of this belongs to God, there's a lot of junk in this world. There's a lot of things that I would hope God didn't create in this world. And so the psalmist wrote, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean's depths. What does that mean? In Hebrew theology, the seas represented chaos and evil. This isn't just a a beautiful picture of God creating on this beautiful seabed. No, this is a picture of God creating on top of, in the midst of chaos happening all around us. Creating the very foundations of the world amidst our chaos, which our sin against God caused. Sin disrupted God's created order. Our earth is groaning right now because sin has disrupted God's created order and it still does. Sin breeds chaos. We feel it every single day of our lives. But in this passage, the psalmist portrays how our Heavenly Father creates order amidst this chaos, laying the foundation of all the world upon the depths 
of the ocean seas, upon the depths of the chaos, amidst the brokenness of our world. In God's creation, chaos doesn't get voice. That's what the psalmist wants here. Chaos doesn't get the final word. And that should give us, I mean, if you take anything away today, I hope you take away that, that when you go out into the chaos of our own lives, of our work, of all that, you can say, you know what, God doesn't create this. Doesn't God, God doesn't, chaos doesn't get the final word in the midst of this. In fact, God's creating and restoring and renewing all of the chaos into order, including our own lives. Friend, if there has ever been a time when the world so desperately needed to feel something new, the church's love and know what we believe, I really believe that time is right now. I believe this time is right now. But it begins first right here with every single one of us in this room and every single one of us at Kindle joining us online. Where could God's fathering presence make a difference for you today? How do you encounter God as Father? In providing for and protecting in forgiving, in healing, in giving to and loving those within your influence, including yourself. This week, may we leverage the best of our technology in order to inform us. Transformation belongs solely to our Heavenly Father. May we actually take steps toward believing that this week. Perhaps instead of Asking, hey, Siri, when we encounter times of trouble, maybe a better response might be, hey, Father, let's talk. We're here now, God. We're here right now. Our minds, our eyes are wide open to you. Our hands are open to you. Our heart is open to you. We have so many things we want to say to you. We have so many things that we want to talk about and we know that you also have some things that you want to talk with us about. And so, Father, we pray over this next week, these next few days, beginning this afternoon into tomorrow, that you would give us the courage to talk to you, to approach you as a good father, to... Stand in awe and wonder and fear of your almighty power and to recognize that indeed you have created all things in this world, including us, all belong to you. But not in a powerful, authoritarian way, but in a way that brings us into your love and into your care and into your goodness. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us do this. And if there is anyone here today who wants to feel this, perhaps for the first time. Maybe you've never encountered God as your heavenly father and you want today to begin a new day in your life, then would you pray this prayer with me? God, today I'm calling you my father and I am trusting you for the forgiveness of my sins as I turn from my way to your way. God, I've done a lot that has led me astray, others astray, but God, I'm, I'm trusting that as I come to you as Father, that you will receive me and that you will get close with me and that you will kneel down to me and welcome me as your son or as your daughter. And so I'm putting my trust in you today as I make this prayer in your name. Now, if today is a new day for you, and today you want to begin a new relationship with Jesus, 
and with your Heavenly Father, would you just simply raise your hand in the air so I can see you? I would love to say a prayer of blessing over you. Kindle Campus, there's a pastor looking for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And online, there is a banner just underneath this video that you can click. God, we thank you that you've shown us to us as a good father. And now we pray as a church, as one church, one community, scattered across a wide geography, that you would equip us and empower us to live on the edge, on the edge of our faith, on the edge of our lives, in a city and in a world feeling on edge. God, we pray that you would lead us into this vision and that you would equip us and help us rely on each other as we do that, all the while knowing that you have given us your son and empowered us by the Holy Spirit to receive your transformation. In the name of your resurrected son, Jesus Christ, we make our prayer today. Amen.